So I have a short little um, sermon for you, and, and this is the last week of a sermon series that we've been in for, uh, this is week 12, and we've had a couple of sermons in between there that weren't a part, um, I guess actually yours was, and then Marvin that wasn't actually part of the series, but this is week number 12, and it's the last week of this Reaching the Remnant series, and as usual, I'm a little, I'm a little sad that we're going to be finish up, finishing up this series because I believe that God... Um, when he calls a church, not just Soma, but to have an emphasis of, of teaching in a season, it could be going through a book of the Bible or, or a teaching series based upon a, a topic or a combination of both. I believe it's because there's a deposit that he wants to make in that congregation during that season. And the deposit that I feel like God wants to make in Soma Church and has been making in Soma Church over this last uh, 12, 13, 14 weeks is uh, into our young people to show them that they have value. I was thinking about that actually just today about how, um, how honestly um, tired I get of hearing culture and especially older people ragging on millennials and, and generation I and whatever all the other generations are of young people and pointing out the faults and, and, and the failures or whatever. And when the reality is, is every generation has some sort of fault or failure. You hear what I'm saying? And, but also I was thinking about how in this series, hopefully those of the older persuasion have, have, have kind of gotten a vision in their heart. I'm a little stopped up. It's kind of hard to talk. But the older generation has gotten a little bit more of a vision in their heart of how important their role is to pouring into the younger generation. Because um, I was thinking about how it's really only in recent years that we've, be- we've begun um, kind of frowning upon younger generations. Maybe, maybe in the last hundred years do you start seeing that dynamic happen because especially in the Jewish culture, they're all about the next generation. Everything has to do with the next generation. Everything I am, everything I do, uh, the activity I find myself engaged in is about raising up the next generation so that they can become everything that they, they need to become. So this idea of, of pointing fingers out and frowning upon and giving up on a generation is really quite new. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? And I hope that that fad of frowning upon a generation, I hope that fad dies out because that's not God's heart. God's heart is that we um, not reject a generation, but that we reach them. And so if nothing else, we've, we've talked about all kinds of stuff in the book of Daniel because Daniel was a remnant when Israel was taken captive to Babylon during those years. At the end of those years, those 70 years, he became someone that was passionate about reaching the remnant. So everyone from young to old can benefit from this series. And if you're new or you haven't heard the whole thing, go back and listen. Because every week, I believe God has made, again, those deposits into our hearts. And I'm sad because we're, we're moving on and I cannot wait to share with you the, uh, the theme or the word that the Lord has for 2018 because um, I think it's very important and it's very prophetic um, for our own lives, for our church, but also for where we're at in this season of history. And you're going to have to wait. You're going to have to wait. You have to wait. Um, tonight, I just, have, I just have one really simple thing that I want to communicate. And I am going to go in the word, but we're not going to dig too deep. But I want you to write this down because this is my sermon in a sentence. You ready? Your life has more meaning than you may ever 
know. Your life has more meaning than you may ever know. And if you want a title for this, this sermon, sermonette, then you can write this down. More than a magi. More than a magi. So back to that sermon in a sentence. Your life has more meaning than you may ever know. So you guys know that I just got back from Israel um, a week or so ago. And um, this time in Israel, I, I visited a place that I didn't vi- visit when our family and a few other families went um, several years ago. And this is a place called Qumran. Qumran. Qumran is about a mile away from the Dead Sea, okay? Uh, out in the wilderness, desert wilderness area. And how many of you know what Qumran has become famous for? Anyone? Qumran is the place where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. Now you may be thinking, big deal. And I would say to you, it is a big deal. The Dead Sea Scrolls are about 972 scrolls that were found in the caves of, of Qumran back in, I think the first one was found in like 1947. And let me just pause on that even. The significance of these scrolls being found right around the same time that Israel is established as a nation is no coincidence. Let me just say that because we've talked a lot about how um, so many things are beginning to bottleneck. So many prophecies, so many biblical things are starting to bottleneck that in, in the outcome of that bottle or that funnel is Jesus is coming back soon. Okay? And, and if you know anything about the Dead Sea Scrolls, it has become... Those scrolls that, that were found have become one of the uh, greatest archaeological finds ever. And what they do, you have 972 scrolls. 40% of those scrolls are literally uh, handwritten in what, what you would call um, ancient Hebrew, handwritten um, scripture, Old Testament Hebrew scriptures. 40% of these, now there's all kinds of other documents and things, and you can read all about it. I'm not going to dive too far into that. But these scrolls, here's what they do. They prove that God is real. They prove the word of God. They prove that the word of God is, is accurate and unchanging because it's like almost word for word the same now as it was back then. They have an entire scroll of Isaiah that was found. What happened is this, this sheep herder or this goat herder was out and he was looking for his sheep. He had a, a lost sheep or goat. A goat would be a goat. He was looking for his lost goat and, and he didn't know where he was and he's climbing up these hills and, and these crags and in the rocks and he stumbles upon this cave and he, and he thinks, well, maybe my sheep or my goat is in there. And so he takes a rock and, and throws it in there to see if he could stir the goat. You understand? So they hear a little, you know. But when he throws that rock in, in there, what he hears is the shattering of these clay pots. And he's like, what is that? So he goes in there and he pulls out these, um, and, you know, these, these pots. They're like this big or so. And they have these scrolls in there. And that was the first cave. And he goes and he, he shows these to some people and he sells them. And there's a whole big story about how they became a big deal. But once archaeologists got a hold of it and scholars, they flipped out because of what they found. And this is, a, this is just a, a goat herder looking for a goat. Stumbles upon these things. You guys hear what I'm saying? It's like, what? 
And they've become a big deal. And since, since then, they've excavated these caves and they've looked and they found almost a thousand scrolls that go back to basically 2,000 years ago. They're the oldest scrolls um, that have ever been found. And these authenticate God's word back then. And some of the ones that aren't biblical text, Old Testament text, what we would call Old Testament, some of them are documentation of things that have happened and, and uh, uh, all kinds of stuff. Go and read about it. It's fascinating. And so we're, we're um, going through a tour of this area called Qumran. And I start learning about this. I knew a little bit about the Dead Sea, but I, uh, Dead sea Scrolls, but I didn't know much about it. And here's, here's what I learned. It was about the, the guys that wrote this, wrote those texts. In short, there was a group of people, some even say it was the Essenes, a, a group of people that really just wanted to, they, they went out into the, to the um, wilderness, to the desert, to, to, to get away from all the religious riffraff, to be pure. Um, you know, we just did baptisms. One of their big things was, was ritual purity. And so you see these mikvahs, these baths all over the place right there in Qumran. They wanted to be pure to the word. They wanted to be pure in their heart and their religion to God. So they separated themselves. And this, uh, you know, some scholars believe it was the Essenes. And we don't read about so much the Essenes in scripture. But um, a lot of scholars believe that John the Baptist was an Essene. Okay. Uh, again, I can get into all kinds of stuff. My point is, is that these guys separate. Their, 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 own, their only thought was we want to get away from the ruckus. And we want to focus on God. And so they would, they would be alone. They had meals together. It was like this little community. And one of the things they did in an effort to learn God's word and hide God's word in their heart is they wrote, they copied the scrolls. So they would copy Jeremiah. And they would copy uh, Isaiah and Ezekiel. They would copy these, these scrolls. And guess what? When they were done, they would start over. Because, you know, writing something down is one of the best ways to memorize it. Now, listen, I, I was thinking about these guys. And I cannot imagine that when they took themselves out into the desert. When they began writing these scrolls. I just can't believe in my head, in my heart that they were thinking. Now, roughly 2,000 years from now, there's going to be a goat herder. It's going to lose a goat. And he's going to throw a rock in one of these caves. And he's going to stumble upon our writings. And it's going to be in the, um, one of the most significant seasons of history when so many things are already bottlenecking. In a season where atheism is on, a, on the rise, agnosticism, people are attacking God's word, even believers themselves are watering down the power and authority of God's word. In that day, that goat herder is going to find our words. You know that's not what they were thinking. And yet, that's what happened. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? That's what happened. And I was thinking about how their only effort, their only desire was to be right with God. The only thing they wanted to do was be right with God. Not to defile themselves with, with the things that um, you know, the, the religious leaders of the day were doing. And they just wanted to get away, be right with God, hide, their, hide his word in their heart. That was their only motivation. And yet, God used them in that day 
to authenticate his word and who he is in one of the most powerful ways that has been done since Jesus himself. Do you guys hear that? And I got to thinking about us. I got to thinking about Daniel. And this is what was rolling. As I'm, I'm walking through Qumran and I'm seeing these mikvahs and I'm looking up in the hills. We didn't get a chance to hike up to them. We didn't have time, but there are all, there's these caves. I think there's 11 or 12 caves that they've uncovered, you know, these thousand scrolls. And not, not all of them are scrolls. Some of them are just little fragments and pieces and, and all kinds of stuff. Some of the documents document how these uh, potentially Essenes, some scholars believe they're Essenes, some believe they're not Essenes. But documentation of how they lived in community and how they did these things. And of course, the archaeological dig in Qumran authenticates the scrolls themselves. And so all that together, they believe that these guys that separated themselves are also the ones that wrote wrote these scrolls. And I got to thinking about this, this phrase, that our life has more meaning than we ever could imagine. That who I am today and what I do today literally will, should, could, most likely will have an effect on something or someone tomorrow. And maybe not just tomorrow literally, but maybe tomorrow figuratively. Ten years from now, who I was today could have some sort of an impact. A hundred years from now, though I don't think the Lord will tarry that long personally. Now you look at the life of David. I want you to check this out. We've learned, I'm David, I'm sorry. Look at the life of Daniel. We've, we've learned a ton about him. Something that you may not know. You remember in chapter two, when we talked about how Nebuchadnezzar has this wild dream, freaks him out. He calls in all of the magicians, sorcerers, the Chaldeans, um, all these guys to come in and interpret these dreams. The Chaldeans being one of them. The magicians. The word for that would, would be, you know, they called them wise men back then or, or magi. Call all these guys in and these guys are freaking out because they can't do it. And so Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm going to kill you if you can't tell me the dream and its interpretation. And he was serious because Nebuchadnezzar was a nut. Daniel hears about it because he was actually one of the guys that would have been killed. He hears about it. He says, I will give this thing a shot. He goes in and he says, King, I have the dream and the interpretation. Don't kill the wise men. Because it says he was going to kill all the wise men in all the province of Babylon. Daniel stood up for these guys and says, I got the interpretation. Dude, chill. Don't kill the wise men. Don't kill these magi. That's, that's another word that they would have been called. And so Daniel, we know the story. Daniel interprets it. It all goes good. He doesn't kill the magi. And it says that Daniel himself was promoted high up. And one of the things he was promoted to is that he became, check this out, he became the chief of the wise men. Daniel was chief of the Magi. Now, why is that important? Because Daniel, like these Essenes or whoever they were, and hopefully like us, just he, he wasn't thinking one of these days there will be people sitting in a little church called Soma and they're going to be reading these words. He wasn't, thinking, he wasn't thinking about any of that. His main objective, I just want to be right with the Lord. I just don't want to defile myself. In that situation, I just, want to, I just want to be used by God to see if I can save these wise men. Some of the wise men were probably a bunch of nuts. But Daniel had a heart to see people saved. You hear what I'm saying? And so Daniel, he does what he does. And, and, all, and he was put as the chief 
of the Magi. Why is that important? Because we have a story that we read in Matthew 2. Why don't you you turn there real quick? Most of us are familiar with this story. And I really don't want to get, you know, read too much, but... Yeah, why not? Start in verse 2. Let me read the story. Start in verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, Matthew chapter 2, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Okay, that word there is for wise men is M-A-G-O-I, Magwai or Magwai or Majwaga or however you want to pronounce it. Made me think of gremlins. Remember that little fuzzy bear was called a Magwai? These weren't one of those, but I'm just saying it you make the connection. Anyway, um, they were, some of your translations say, may say magi. Some of your translations may say wise men. Okay? These wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, hey, where is he? And where did they come? Everybody tell me where they came real quick. They came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star. When it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all of Jerusalem with him and assembling all the chief priests and scribes, the people, he, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judah, for so it is written by the prophet. And let's just pause right there. So these magi come. They were led by the star. There was this anomaly in the sky that they recognized as different. And at the same time, they knew something about the Messiah. These magi, now if you know anything about what we studied in in Daniel, these magi, these Chaldeans, these wise men, these magicians, these sorcerers, some of them weren't quite right in the head. They They were into some pretty weird stuff. Some of them was just astronomy, but some of them were really deep into astrology. And so there was there was a definitely um, a questionableness about this act. And you remember Daniel said, I'm not going to defile myself with that. He did have to learn the language of the Chaldeans, but we know Daniel was faithful, so he never dove straight in. But then one day, because of the goodness and faithfulness of the Lord using Daniel, he becomes the chief of these magis. And if you know anything about Daniel, he was an influencer, and he had influence over these wise men. And can you imagine Daniel saving the day? You know these wise men were like, dude, Daniel, thanks. <laughs> right? They're like, because we were goners. But because you... So there was, this, there was this respect for who Daniel was because he saved them. Also a respect because he was the only one that could interpret the dream. And you see that pattern continuing. So Daniel was an influencer to the very men who one day were able to come and worship Jesus. It says that they saw his star in the sky. How how did they know about that? Most likely because of Daniel's influence. One of the reasons would be um, because of studying the prophets, the Hebrew prophets. Why would they do that? Probably because of Daniel's influence. They would have recognized that prophecy in Numbers chapter 24. Where it says, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not here. There shall come a star out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. Weirdest place for there be a messianic prophecy that will point to Jesus. Because this is the story, This Numbers 24 is the story of, of Balaam and his donkey. You guys know the story? Balak hired Balaam to put a curse on Israel. 
And instead of cursing Israel, he's like prophesying about the Messiah. And so this is where they, they knew that there was a star. They're like, something's going on here. But another reason they would have been able to, to know the timing of all of this is because of the book of Daniel, Daniel's writings. Remember, they loved Daniel. Well, they respected Daniel, probably loved him, at least grateful. Daniel had his writings. Daniel had his teachings. He had his influence. If you know anything about Daniel chapter 9, one of the most significant prophetic books, especially as it relates to end times that there is. Daniel 9 and Revelations, boy, they just, they're buddies. You hear what I'm saying? Everybody with me? In Daniel chapter 9, right around verse 25 and 26, you can read it on your own time, there is a, there is a very specific, well, I'll just read it to you. It says in 25, so you are to know and discern, and he's talking about a timing in history. You are to know and discern from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince that there will be 70 weeks and 62 weeks. You see how there, there's numbers involved here? This is a time frame that Daniel was laying out. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. All the people of the Prince who is to come will destroy the city. It goes on. And all of this together is a timeline that these guys were aware of. That's one of the reasons that they knew that this was about Messiah. These magi were influenced by Daniel. Now think about Daniel. As he is saving the wise man, he's not saying, now because I'm doing this, I know that roughly 600 years from now, there's going to be a few of them that are going to travel from the east and look out Messiah. And I know that my writings, my influence are going to help them know where Messiah will be. He wasn't thinking that. What was he doing? He's just being a good guy. He's just trying to be right, righteous. He was just trying to do the right thing. And yet his life was meant for so much more. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't pass it up. His life had more meaning than he could have ever even known. You guys see that? And you notice it says that, that the Magi came to Jerusalem because there's a, they thought if he was going to be the Messiah, Jewish Messiah, that he, was going to, he would be in Jerusalem. But then they get there, and let's read the rest of the story. They get there, and they told him, um, so what's his name? Herod the king heard this. He was troubled all Jerusalem with him and assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them. So Herod's like, what is this about this? this Jewish king. What is this about this? And then he goes, hey, where, where in scripture, because he was familiar enough to know with prophecy that it prophesied a Messiah would come. He's like, where does it say this, uh, this Messiah would be born? And so they, they scrounged around and brushed up their, their you know, old Hebrew Old Testament. And they said, oh, it's right here in Micah chapter five, verse two. But as for you, Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah from you, one will go forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. So these magi knew um, um, about the Messiah. They knew about a star and they knew about a timing. And so they made the journey to Jerusalem because that made the most sense. But what they didn't know or understand was where Jesus would be born. And so they had to ask those guys. It was really sad that these wise men from the east were picking up these prophecies that Jesus would be born, but the religious leaders themselves weren't. Isn't that crazy? I could preach a whole sermon about that. But these guys, these guys in the, in the heart, the spirit, the, the mindset of Daniel came and they found, look what it says. Then Herod summoned the wise man secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. 
And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, okay, go to Bethlehem. The guy's like, Bethlehem? Yeah, yeah, Bethlehem. That's what it says in Micah. Okay. Search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, why don't you just bring him to me? Bring, him, bring me word so that I may come and worship him too. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Think about this. For magi, uh, magicians, these wise men, and, and all that we know about them and, and where they came from and their background, for them to be worshiping, for them to be worshiping this Jewish king, it doesn't make sense except they had a direct connection with who? Daniel. Daniel's influence had lasted 600 years. It says that they came and they worshiped him. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary and his mother. They fell down. They worshiped him. Then opening their treasure, they offered him gifts. Okay, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Let me just tell you in short that gold is symbolic of his kingship. Frankincense is symbolic of his priestly role. And then myrrh is what they would use to, in, in the burial rituals. So these guys came, and the very gifts that they brought him um, um, encompassed the calling of Messiah himself. And I want you to think about this. These were the first Gentiles to come and worship the King of kings and Lord of lords. Yes, he came to the Jewish people, but we know the story. His own rejected him, and so the gospel went forth to the Gentiles, everyone who wasn't Jewish. These were the first ones. These wise men, these disciples of Daniel, if you will, became the first one to acknowledge him as the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of the Lords, the, the, the priest who would, be, um, who would offer up and even be the sacrifice once for all. They acknowledged in their gift that he would be um, um, uh, killed and, and buried. You, you hear what I'm saying? Maybe I'm not going deep enough into it. But my point in all of this is Daniel's influence on their day. Just like these Essenes 2,000 years ago. They weren't trying to be anything special. They weren't trying to do anything special. They were just trying to be right with God. And yet their lives are impacting our lives 2,000 years later. Daniel discipling these these, uh, uh Magi, wise men in his day, and that discipleship lasted and lasted and lasted. Do you guys see that? What if you discipled someone and you poured everything that you had into them? What if it lasted and lasted and lasted? Do you know why sometimes we don't engage into those types of activities? Do you know? Let me step back from that. Do you know why sometimes we don't watch our P's and Q's? You guys know what that means? How many of you know what your P's and Q's are? Raise your hand if you know what your P's and Q's are. My stepmom used to talk about my, my P's and Q's all the time. I thought she was talking about the alphabet. I learned later that she's talking about my behavior. You better watch your P's and Q's. I'm like, am I writing them wrong? My P's and Q's, my P's and Q's look fine. Anyway, she's talking about my, my behavior. Sometimes we aren't watching our P's and Q's. Sometimes we're not focused on being right with the Lord, doing right with the Lord, making decisions that are right and biblical. You guys hear what I'm saying? Hey, I don't know what's going on in the back, but y'all look up here. This is where the action is. 
Sometimes we're not doing what we need to be doing. We're not making the right decisions. And you know why? Simply because we don't have an awareness or a conviction that who I am today and what I do today will impact something or someone tomorrow. But what if we lived like that? Dads, what if we, dads, what if we lived like, what if we made dis- different decisions when we're alone and in private as it relates to our purity? Knowing that just doing right and being right before the Lord could have a spiritual impact on my sons or daughters. You guys hear what I'm saying? Everything that we are, everything that we do adds up to something. And I could probably teach an opposite sermon of how um, um, our lack of effort towards doing right and being right has opposite and ugly effects, right? And we even read about that in, in, um, in the Old Testament about how the sins of our fathers affect all the way down to the third and the fourth generation, right? But what does it say in that same verse? When we do right, when we love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, strength, give him everything, that it affects thousands, thousands, not thousands of people, but literally thousands of generations. Who we are today, what we do will have an effect on tomorrow, literally, but also figuratively of the future. I think that's partially what God has in mind when he says, I know the plans I have for you. He knew that plan he had for Daniel. It's for hope and a what? A future. Not to harm you, but to prosper you. We are, let me, let me just kind of bring this to a close by saying we are not mindful enough about today as we ought to be. If we were more mindful about today, I think we would be more pleased with tomorrow. When Daniel was writing Daniel chapter 9 and these numbers were coming to him, I, dad, I doubt he had like a some sort of calculator. and let me, I think he was just writing down what he heard in a quiet time from God. In fact, that's what it says. In fact, it says that that word, that prophetic word that was so accurate, the, one of the most accurates that we find in scripture came out of one of his times of fasting and prayer. Oh, he, he's just trying to be right and do right. And now he had an effect on people 600 years later. But think about that. We are still, we come up with plays about Magi. We have little stories and songs. We three kings. It's like, we don't know that there were three kings. Well, they weren't kings. They, anyway, I won't go into that. They were Magi. We don't know that there were three of them. There were three gifts, but there could have been six magi. There could have been two magi. There's at least two. Let's stand. I have about 10 minutes worth, but I'll forego that. My encouragement to you guys as I've been thinking about this and as we come to the end of this series is, the, the whole series is about the whole series is about reaching the remnant, reaching the, the generation that will be used by God in, in very significant days, the last days. 
You hear what I'm saying? And so hopefully you guys, you young people, realize that, that God has a plan to use you. Like he has a plan to use you. He hasn't given up on you. He hasn't given up on a generation. In fact, he's ramping it up. If anything, he wants to use you. And so you could be excited and you can think, okay, will my life have more meaning than I could ever know? Yes. Can we all affirm them? Can we all say yes, that their life has more meaning than they could ever know? We were dedicating these babies up here and we have these, these words that we, we hope to see some of those neat things come to pass. And, and, but but those, are, those are minute little thoughts and ideas compared to what God has for these guys in the future. And so, you know, Stephanie and Miguel and Austin and, and Sylvia and Chris and Emily, they have a job ahead of them. We have a job ahead of us as parents, as a congregation for, for young people to do everything that we can to do right by them, knowing that it will affect tomorrow. It will affect their tomorrow. And of course, the tomorrow and the tomorrow and the tomorrow. Amen.